Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Strange stories about terrorism from around the world. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Well, today I have a bunch of interesting stories from around the world. We're going to be talking and going from Paris to China to Colorado. And um, these are some stories that uh, you may have missed, but I didn't. I love finding these esoteric stories that, um, you know, especially in between big stories like uh, the killing of Baghdadi and all that, there are these other less uh, publicized but very interesting stories. So let me start with the one about Paris. Um, in, the, in a screening of the movie, The Joker, a man all of a sudden shouted, Allahu Akbar. Now, this wasn't necessarily a terrorist attack, although he is being investigated for this. So what happened was, um, during a screening of the movie uh, of Joker, there um, was a man who was there with his friend, at least one friend, and apparently he, he was 34 years old, and during the movie, First, he started mumbling from time to time, say politique, it's political, uh, at the movie, you know, claiming that the movie was political, meaning that uh, the movie makers were trying to spread propaganda, encouraging the poor people to attack the rich. Now, he could have meant, I mean, I guess there are a number of ways you could look at the Joker as being political, although I must say that um, I saw it more as fascinating from a psychological perspective and how cruel the world can be and how cruelty can cause people who have an underlying mental illness to, um, to crumble like the Joker did, and yes, sometimes to become violent. I know that is not uh, politically correct, but it is psychologically correct, psychiatrically correct. I mean, although I must admit that mental patients are more likely to be victims of crime than they are to be shooters and so on, but, but that's looking at people who are mentally ill with major mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar or manic depressive illness. Um, but the people who are the, the run-of-the-mill now, I can say, unfortunately, the run-of-the-mill shooters, not necessarily just terrorists, but uh, mass shooters, they are uh, mentally ill or psychiatrically disturbed, if not by a major mental illness, then certainly because of their upbringing, because of trauma that happened in their life and things that have caused them to um, feel that they have nothing to lose and they're angry. And, um, and they ultimately perpetrate an attack. But I don't want to digress because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. Okay, so 
This man, this 34-year-old suspect whose name has not yet been released, is first mumbling, mumbling murmuring, say politique. It's political. Um, this was during a 9.30 p.m. screening. Uh, he was in the middle of the theater. And so people started shushing him or laughing, you know, um, and then, but they weren't panicking yet. Now, you may know that this movie, um, there was fear about this movie before it was released, that it was going to cause violence because there is violence in the movie, but it is not the kind of violence that I have been an activist against for years, uh, the gratuitous violence. This was violence with a, with a purpose and um, a good purpose of showing, you know, how damaging bullies and, and um, people can be, uh, hurtful people can be. So anyhow, this happened at the Grand Rex Cinema in Paris. And so, um, as I was saying, at first they were laughing and shushing him and so on. And then eventually, when he didn't get the panic that he presumably wanted, that caused him to yell, Allahu Akbar, God is great, in Arabic. And there were, um, the theater could accommodate 500 people, but there were about 200 people in the theater that night. And about 25 or 30 audience members, when he, you know, yelled Allahu Akbar, what do you think they did? <laughs> of course they panicked. I mean, especially with all the attacks in France, um, that was very, very scary. And especially also think about it on the backdrop uh, halfway through the movie, The Joker, you know, which was also uh, kept, it was, it was a tense kind of movie. Um, and so in the midst of this, I mean, I th I'm sure these people picked it on purpose, um, not just any movie. So in the midst of this, around 30 people started panicking and running for the doors, the exits, and the exit doors, interestingly, or sadly, were blocked. Um, and so far, we don't, there hasn't been a report about what, what blocked it or why they were blocked. I mean, of course, that was ridiculous. And if it had been a real terror attack, people would have been killed. So anyhow, other people, there were people, believe it or not, even though they heard Hallelu Akbar, I mean, this is really scary, more scary. Um, they stayed behind and they continued watching the movie. I guess they really liked the movie, but you know, what, are we becoming so desensitized to the possibility of terrorist attacks that, that we're gonna just keep watching the movie? Anyway, eventually the whole theater was evacuated and uh, authorities brought in bomb squad, the bomb squad and dogs. Um, some one person who was in the theater said it was total panic. Uh, people jumped over seats and women fell to the ground in the aisles. So they arrested the suspect and then he was admitted to a psychiatric infirmary within police headquarters and eventually admitted to a psychiatric hospital. But now there's a little twist to this. Um, it may have been terrorism. They are investigating. Um, but it may have been an attempt to steal people's phones and bags because, um, because in fact, some people did have their possessions stolen. Um, there were two, the director of the movie theater, the Grand Rex, um, told The Hollywood Reporter that this suspect didn't act alone. He said, they were two thieves looking for a way to take people's phones and bags. Apparently they had already used the same tactic once on a train. Now, um, 
you know, that um, this kind of thing is, if replicated, um, could be very bad. I mean, of course, it would be worse if it was a terror attack, but to use, to, you know, to pretend to be um, causing a terror attack really just for the purpose of panic, creating panic so that it's easier to steal people's belongings. I mean, that's a new twist on terrorism and it's that too is a scary one. Um, so he, uh, the, the suspect, at first he escaped after several movie go goers and security guards tried to stop him, but then he was eventually arrested. And um, so he's now being uh, sued by the Grand Rex movie theater. And he's being investigated by the French prosecutor's office on the suspicion of advocating terrorism. So <laughs> that is a, um, a new story connected with the Joker. You've heard, I'm sure, some other stories not necessarily related to terrorism, but um, that has been in the news. And if you have not, I, I have to put in a word for this. And um, if you have not seen that movie, I, I really, wherever you are live, wherever you live, um, you can certainly find it still. And um, I would advocate uh, going to see it because it gives you a, uh, like a bird's eye view into somebody's mind uh, who is on the edge and how cruelties in the world push them over the edge and then turn them into becoming violent someone who was not really violent to begin with, but who finally snapped. Okay, um, when we come back, I'm going to be telling you another sort of implausible story. Again, this today is it's called Strange Stories About Terrorism. And so we're going from Paris now to China and um, talking about the Uyghurs and the communist uh, plan for how to get rid of terrorism, which is very unique. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, today we're talking about strange stories around the world about terrorism. We just went into Paris, a Paris movie theater that was playing the Joker. And now we are going into China uh, perhaps even a stranger and more disturbing story. Um, there is a group of people, you may know this, you don't know, <laughs> you may know about this group of people, but I don't think you know about the, the current uh, news or, it's not, you know, this, this phenomenon that's happening, what communists are doing, uh, their way of taking care of or eradicating terrorism. So the Uyghurs, they are a group of Muslims um, which are threatening to the uh, Russians, notably the communist Russians. Um, well, I mean, I, that might be a, um, that might be the ruling communists, let's put it that way. Um, their way of getting rid of terrorism is to um, send communist Chinese men to uh, stay for six days a week in the homes of women whose husbands have been put in prison camps. 
Now, they are sent in theoretically or ostensibly to monitor the homes of these Uyghur women. And yes, I'm sure that that's part of it too. You know, try, seeing, for example, trying to keep um, their finger on the pulse of whether there are some terror attacks planned. You know, perhaps if the women are somehow uh, getting information or planning the attacks themselves. Um, so it's kind of keeping tabs on what terror attacks might be in the works or um, just finding out things in, in general about, oh, I think that's, uh, that must be the communist Chinese calling me, telling me not to talk about this, not to tell this story. Um, they are actually trying very hard to keep all of this under wraps and to the extent that it's getting, has gotten out, um, they are trying to sort of whitewash it and say that it's not as, um, as bad as you will think that it is. And really, there's, there's really only one way of looking at this. Um, I mean, one truthful way. So, okay, so Chinese men are being, um, I mean, the, the Uyghur Muslim men are being sent to prison camps. And um, they call these um, prison camps re-education centers. And um, this has been happening in Western China, what I'm going to be telling you about, has been happening for the past two years. And this is, you know, as I said, perpetrated by the Communist Party. Um, they are sending Chinese men into the homes of uh, women whose husbands are in the prisons, who, you know, um, because they are being seen as terrorists. And they are using Islamophobia, the uh, Communist Party is using Islamophobia to justify its actions. And so they, so there these men are, lots of men in these re-education centers, which are really prisons. In fact, there are at least one million Uyghurs in these prison-like camps. And um, they, since 2017, they have been running a program called Pair Up and Become Family. Now, pair up, that in itself kind of gives it away. In other words, what, they're, what the Communist Party is trying to say is that these men who they're sending into the homes of these women whose husband is away, um, that they're trying, the Communist Party is saying that these men are not having sex with the women. And that is not very believable. Um, whether you want to think of it that the women are being raped, I mean, I'm sure it varies in each home, but some of the women are being raped. Some of the women may have something like Stockholm Syndrome, where, um, especially after two years, where they become attached to the man. Women might well just have their own sexual needs. Um, and here is a man sleeping in their bed. I mean, what is the likelihood that they are not having sex? But clearly, this is not something that the women asked for. So whether it's violent rape or whether it's just a more subtle kind of rape, it's rape. Um, so this pair up and become family. Um, they are sending in um, the men from the Han Chinese, the ethnic group that makes up most of China's population. Um, and those are the ones who they're sending into these Uyghur homes. And they say that the program is to promote ethnic unity. 
I mean, really what that sounds like, and in fact, um, it has been called this, you know, ethnic cleansing. Basically, they're expecting that the men and the women are going to have sex and are going to propagate. And um, these children then will not be full Uyghurs. They will be at least half um, the main Chinese ethnic group. So these men stay up to six days a week in each home and um, they call them, these, uh, the, the, the um, Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party calls them, uh, calls these men who go into the homes relatives, even though they're not family. I mean, this is all sort of a cover up to try to pretend that nothing bad is going on. Um, they, um, so they, they uh, work with and eat with these Uyghur families. They discuss Communist Party political ideology and they discuss life. And so, um, you know, there's, there is, um, you know, the idea, of course, is to bring propaganda, is to convince them about the communist way of life being, you know, really good and all of that. Um, and, you know, during all these talks, staying six days a week, uh, of course they, you know, the people, other people, other than the Communist Party, are saying um, that they develop feelings for one another. In fact, normally one or two people sleep in one bed. And if the weather is cold, there could be three people sleeping together. So they're now, uh, they're now um, recommending threesomes. Um, more children <laughs> to have. Um, so, so, oh, and, but the Communist Party is trying to say that nothing, no hanky-panky is going on, that these relatives, you know, these men and their female, female hosts always keep a distance of three feet between them at night. Really, is there somebody going, knocking on doors and checking, <laughs> measuring that they're three feet apart? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the Communist Party is claiming that these men are never taking advantage of the women, and the women are very keen to welcome these men into their homes. And the problem is that it's very hard for Uyghurs to get the truth out because they are not allowed to talk with journalists or other people outside their region. But there are some Uyghurs living abroad who, um, who, who have you know, talked some about this and who have said that their relatives who live in the Uyghurs, who live in the region where, that are having these male visitors, um, blocked them online to avoid being punished for communicating with outsiders. So the Uyghurs who are, who are not in this region um, have been blocked because the Uyghurs in the region are gonna be punished who are under the control of the Communist Party. So there are some Uyghur women who fled uh, some of these detention camps. And one woman told uh, a newspaper that she witnessed a gang rape and medical experiments on other prisoners. And she was uh, the recipient of beatings and food deprivation uh, because she was punished because another prisoner hugged her. Now this is, a, this is in a prison, prison 
detention camp, not necessarily um, where I'm talking about in regard to the homes, but um, but <laughs> if this is happening in the in the same area in these um, detention camps, you can bet that it's that they're not keeping three feet apart in the homes. Um, so another prisoner hugged her, this woman who gave this interview, and so she was beaten and deprived of food and so on. And um, the and and the, the another way that they're trying to not get um, not get this news out, China warned the U.S. that criticism over the Uyghurs was quote not helpful unquote for ongoing trade talks so you know this is um oh they're saying we don't want you talking about this because um if you do you know we're gonna not uh give you do you any favors in these trade talks but in any case this is pretty horrible goings on and um really not not a, the best way to um, get rid of terrorists. We're gonna take a break now. And um, when we come back, we're gonna go to Colorado where there is another um, strange thing, strange in the sense that it's the only place in the States where this is happening. But this is, um, you know, a better, <laughs> a better plan than what the Chinese are doing. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Today we're talking about strange stories about terrorism that are taking place in various places around the world. We went first to Paris, where a man shouted Allahu Akbar during the, a screening of the movie The Joker, and um, where, in fact, although he's being investigated now for terrorism, you know, whether this was an attack of sorts, although nobody was reported as being dead, but there probably were people who, undoubtedly were people who were injured in this mass panic as people ran out the doors or tried to actually, some of the doors were locked. Um, but there, was all, there were also thefts. And so it is, the question is, um, was this a terrorist? Was this just an, a, a common thief? Or um, was this man just insane? Not that these things are, are mutually exclusive. In any case, he is in a, he was taken to a psychiatric hospital and he's being sued by the movie theater and investigated by the police for terrorism. So we will eventually find out. Now, the other, what I, the story that I was just talking about in China, um, that was sort of a tragic story about how the Communist Party is essentially um, uh, making, using as a way to combat terrorism uh, in the Uyghur population. This is a Muslim population and they are concerned with them being terrorists. And um, their way of dealing with this has been to put uh, Chinese, Han Chinese, which is the ethnic group that makes up most of China, sending men who are Han Chinese into the homes of women who are Uyghurs and whose husbands have been taken away to prison camps, which are euphemistically called re-education camps, and um, calling it pair up and become family, and all the while trying to convince the world that, you know, to the extent that this story has gotten out, 
convince the world that they that these men and women are staying three feet apart that they're not having sex when in fact um, they are they are supporting rape of these Uyghur women and as I mentioned you know it may, some of this may be violent rape some of it may be not violent um, women may may grow attached to these men because uh, they they're talking about they're working with them and eating with them and so on and um, it may be somewhat of a um, Stockholm syndrome, or it may just be that these women are lonely. You know, it's been, this has been going on for two years. Their husbands have been away for two years. Um, any way, whichever way it is in any particular home, this is no way to combat terrorism. And of course, it is a kind of ethnic cleansing since, the, since as these men are, are convincing the women to believe in the communist ideology, they are also, um, most likely producing children with these women who are now going to be only half Uyghur. Okay, now to Colorado. This isn't quite as strange as the Uyghurs or the um, Joker story, but it is unique in the sense that Colorado is doing something that has not been done in any other state in the country. And that is um, they are training school bus drivers in anti-terrorism. There, the school buses in Colorado transport 365,000 children a day. And um, there are no security regulations for them. But now a state lawmaker is introducing a school bus security bill. And at the same time, Homeland Security is uh, having TSA agents train uh, bus drivers in anti-terrorism. So we have one of the bus drivers, for example, who is being trained, Jim Neville. Um, he drives a bus for the Boulder Valley School District and he volunteered with hundreds of other school bus drivers to have this training. And of course they hope that they're never gonna have to use it, but they are um, volunteering to take it. I'm not quite sure. Well, I guess they're volunteering for now because it isn't a law yet but the idea is to ultimately make it a law that they have to be trained. So TSA agents um, were teaching them how to prevent an attack and what to do if there is one. And so Jim Neville, the bus driver said, some of the tips are like what's hidden and obvious and normal. Um, if a backpack looks like it's just the normal backpack that I've seen before, there's nothing enlarged about it. There's no wires hanging out. It's not unusually heavy. It feels like a normal school backpack. Then you think it's normal. But if you find something suspicious about it, you'd act appropriately. So now, um, part of the reason for why you know this lawmaker is um, is putting all these things into effect is because we know already that terrorists have attacked school buses. Uh, you may have heard of attacks in Israel, in Italy, Russia, France and other countries. Now there hasn't yet been a terrorist attack of a school bus in the United States, um, and there's no specific risk that, known risk that Colorado school buses um, are targeted in any way, but, um, you know, specifically, but this is just, um, you know, this is a way to not take chances according to this state lawmaker. 
Um, well, I'll tell you what, more about what they're doing, but you know, it strikes me that, and, th and they're talking about, you know, doing this because, um, because our greatest assets are at risk, in other words, the children. And yes, I mean, certainly that's true. Um, it's just that, you, you know, really, <laughs> really uh, all buses and trains, but then again, terrorists do like to particularly um, target School, things, schools and school buses and children, because that makes a bigger emotional uh, impact than, um, than adults. Um, so now also this, this state lawmaker is saying school buses are often unattended, unsecured, and unrestrained by many parking restrictions. And so that makes them more vulnerable to an attack. And he said he saw a bus parked outside the Capitol in Colorado and the driver was asleep with the door open. So he said, if you want to hijack a bus, perfect opportunity. If you want to slip in there and put a package on a bus, perfect opportunity. So this training includes teaching drivers how to inspect their buses more closely, recognize suspicious activity. Um, but he said they also need reliable technology to report their threats. Um, and he said specifically, and I'm talking about Senator Don Corum, he said, especially when you get into remote areas of Colorado where service is not always available. So he said the state has spent $75 million over the last two years to make our schools safer. And now he wants to you know, broaden this and also protect the buses. So he's calling his bill the Smart School Bus Safety Pilot Program. And he wants to establish a three-year, $6 million pilot program that would create an app that allows parents to track their kids' bus at all times. It would equip buses with silent alarms and radios and install a dedicated broadband network on buses so that drivers anywhere in the state could have direct communication with law enforcement. Um, of course, <laughs> a little caveat to that is that right now there's a shortage of school buses, school bus drivers, not school buses, but school bus drivers in Colorado. And um, in his bill, he's also wants to fund the recruitment and screening of drivers to make sure that they that the drivers are responsible and understand how serious their work is, you know that it's not just driving a bus around, but that um, you know that this could be a target and that um, they need to to think about protecting children. Well, um, you know, if you if you've heard some of these stories already, great. Chances are you haven't. And I like to bring stories like this um, to your attention because otherwise we, I mean, it, this, these weren't about terror attacks per se. I mean, I didn't, well, <laughs> although, uh, I mean, there, there are different kinds of attacks, you know, the, uh, the man in the, in the theater, um, I mean, that was, a, that was a theft attack apparently. And the Chinese are attacking the uh, attacking the women, if if not violently, if not violently, then certainly morally. Um, and these um, school bus 
driver, this story is about potential attacks that are going to happen. But I mean, so it's not just that we don't, in other words, we shouldn't just be aware of terrorism and, and recognize that we, that there, that it's still out there, um, even with the death of Abu, <laughs> uh, with, uh, the death of Baghdadi. Um, the, the, we, because the bottom line is that we still should be working to uh, make ourselves more resilient, keeping ourselves um, working on our stress, working on our physical body as well, and um, you know, not not seeping, seeking, <laughs> um, falling ever more, ever deeper into denial. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.